the Empire podcast this week, we're listening as Dr. Fraser Crane himself, Kelsey Grammer, drops by to impart some wisdom. Plus, all the usual movie news and nonsense on the movie podcast. That's going to take a leaf out of John Carney's book and apologise to Kira Knightley for once asking her to display her knowledge of the offside rule. Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. In my defence, it was for a Bend It Like Beckham interview, so the offside rule naturally came up. I don't just make interviewees display their knowledge of the offside rule. Frankly, I don't understand it myself. Anyway, oh, while Chris, we're on the subject... Oh, you need me to explain it to you. Uh, yeah, can you? Please, go on. No, please, Helen. Please, explain the offside rule to me. That there have to be two defenders between the attackers and the goal when the ball is in play. Isn't that right? That is correct. How, how, did, you, how did you know that? You're a girl. I don't know. I think I learned um, it from the full Monty. <laughs> it's all very complicated these days and there's you know, phases and stuff. Anyway, but it's all boring. Anyway, while we're on the subject of public apologies, I'd like to make a very public apology to this week's two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First, Helen. Hello. I'm sorry I said those disparaging things about your plans to kidnap Jared Padalecki and Jensen Ackles and imprison him in a sex dungeon. I now see and accept that your motivation was not sexual that you just wanted to have them to look at whenever you fancied. And I think that's entirely fair, so please accept my apology. Well, I mean, it's just part of my creative process, okay? Just having beautiful people in my sex dungeon available to look at whenever I want. I mean, I just thought you understood that. I was a bit discomforted that you didn't. Yeah. But I would like to apologise for reacting the way I did. Okay. I shouldn't have ripped the head off all of your action <laughs> figures. So that was that was wrong. You I t- realise that now. Yeah, you, you touched my 19-inch Galactus. And believe me, nobody touches my 19-inch Galactus. And while we're on the subject of public apologies, Dan Jolin is here. And Dan, I just want you to apologise for everything. Um, I sincerely and deeply, from the very bottom of my soul, (laughs) apologise for that thing that I did that time to that person in that way. What would you apologise for? Me? Yeah. Publicly, what would you publicly apologise for? What I may have apologised over the years for a certain review that people bring up from time to time. <laughs> I'm but sure what? I don't know what you mean. <laughs> well, considering I am never going to apologise for my Taken review, uh, nothing. <laughs> Je ne regret de rien. Was it? Was yeah. it? Regret I regret that. I regret yeah. saying that. <laughs> I regret embarking upon that before I realise what the... What? Je ne regret? Je ne regret. Je ne regret rien. Je ne regret rien. You see? Rien de rien. Oh, rien de rien. There we go. I apologise for that. Helen, <laughs> what would you apologise for? I'm, I'm, uh, I would apologise for getting the, the pepper fact in the, in the Civil War review, uh, in Civil War feature wrong. I'm still annoyed about that. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, great. <laughs> I can't believe I let that through. Yeah, it was all your fault. Yes, well, I'm, I, I blame you. I apologise for Helen making that mistake. Um, I would also like to say that the John Carney letter I thought was an incredibly classy move and it was a, a proper apology apology Should as we... opposed to one of these fake apologies and yeah. what a guy basically mm. and uh, you know I missed I missed last week to, to rave about Sing Street but, or was it the week before anyway week Sing before. Street is amazing so just it was last week. it was last week it was um, so yeah because you were away somewhere that we can't talk about but sure. we should contextualise the uh, John Carney thing very very quickly for people who don't know so this week John Carney the director of Sing Street uh, gave an interview in which the subject of Begin Again and Keira Knightley came up uh, Keira Knightley obviously being the star of his second film Begin Again which came out in 2014 and John Carney said some less than flattering things about Keira Knightley and uh, two lest we forget is a two time Oscar nominee yeah very good actress knows her way around the offside rule as well and he said something essentially along the lines of I'll, I've learned never to work with supermodels again which is incredibly disparaging and uh, naturally this got out and went viral surprising it went viral now because I looked back at our Empire uh, news story about Begin Again back in 2014 and he was making slightly disparaging comments about Kieran Knightley even then so it's weird it's taken people two years to catch on to this it clearly they didn't enjoy working together uh, you know it's fine personality clashes happen but anyway a lot of people were calling him out on this and uh, he has responded with a full frank apology no caveats none I was a dick essentially is the uh, the subtext of that uh, so yeah it's all it's all good it's all there so what a guy, and we can go and enjoy Sing Street in a clear conscience, which is mm. wonderful. When I was on my exciting trip that we can't talk about, <laughs> I have said where I am. Like it's oh, on, this my, is true. It's yeah. on some of my social feeds. You're but in Australia. I was in Australia. I, I went to see Hunt for the Wilder People, uh, which is not yet out in this country. No. Um, and mm-hmm. I love it 
a huge amount. So like it, that and Sing Street and Love and Friendship, which I did miss talking about last week. Mm. Three of my favourite films. What am I making this? Not we just we this saw year. Chris and I saw Hunt for the Wilder People just yesterday. I got that impression from, from yeah. some tweets online. And, and and at some points during that film, I was getting a bit weepy, and at other points yeah. during that film, I was you know hooting, not like an owl, but with laughter. But with laughter, yeah, like a hyena. It was like the only times I stopped, you know, laughing where to cry. And sometimes I didn't even stop laughing mm. to cry. And I was doing both at the same time. Yeah. What an amazing film. Mm. And yeah. some good Terminator references. Some very good Terminator <laughs> references. Oh, just just wonderful. Ninjas, direwolves and child, child welfare. Just amazing. Incredible film. Anyway, we'll talk about that yeah. on. Yeah, well, you know, it's out in August. Uh, weirdly <laughs> enough, I just interviewed the director of that, Taika Waititi. What um, a dude. I know, it's just everything's coming together. This is it suddenly turned into the Hunt for the Wilder People uh, appreciation <laughs> podcast. <laughs> That will be coming out in August 12th, I believe. Is I when believe it, you're correct. Just when that movie's coming out over here. It is a fantastic film. Believe the hype. It is really, really great. Um, yes. And you know what? We, Dan and I didn't have to endure a 24-hour flight <laughs> halfway around the world uh, in order to see it. We just went to a screen room just down the street. Damn you. Okay, time now for uh, this week's question, which comes via Twitter from at Johnny underscore C85. Jonathan Cardwell is his name. And he asks... I, th- I don't know if this was inspired by something. I think we talked about this on the X-Men Spoiler Podcast. I think. I seem to remember mentioning something about this. What movie posters did you have on your walls growing up? I, this is Jonathan Cardwell, had Blue Streak and 90s Psycho. 90s Psycho. Okay. Was it a... Uh, yeah. Interesting. I, I'd love to start with this one, right? Because yeah. I had the maddest film posters up in my bedroom as a kid. Because my cousin, Andy who was now a cabbie. But back in those days, he used to work, like he used to do printing. He used to work at a printing place. And he just used to get all these runoffs of these posters, like for video shops. And and he just gave them to me. So um, I had Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Oh, that's a good poster. On my wall. The one with the claw, the one with the claw coming out. uh, No, he's the one with, it's a big one. Freddy's like, it's a big shot of Freddy kind of raised up. Except I had to put it somewhere where I couldn't see it while I was going to sleep. Because yeah, I was too I was young. Say. I was too young for Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, I was, I was, I don't know, uh, 12, 13 at the time. Mm-hmm. So I'd never seen a Nightmare on Elm Street film, but I had the poster. So the other poster I had on my wall was, was for a film I've actually confessed. I've never, ever seen it. <laughs> never seen it. But I love the image. It was, it was basically, it had a picture on it of uh, like a, a illustrated picture of a big kind of robot dude, like a cyborg or something covered in electricity. And it was called The Vindicator. Right. Right. Now, this is actually, it was from 1986, and it was actually a film about um, a guy who invents a super suit, right, that mm-hmm. makes him incredibly strong. I've seen this. Then he dies. Yeah. No, I haven't, oh. but I've seen oh, okay. the film with a super Then he suit. dies, <gasps> and a, another guy, a baddie, puts his dead body inside Ooh. the suit, so he becomes a zombie cyborg, oh. and it's basically Frankenstein, and Pam Grier's in it. Huh. But, it's kind um, of like RoboCop without the spark of life that was left at the end there. Yeah. But it was made before RoboCop. Oh, I'm not... You know, it's the I'm year not, before yeah, RoboCop, so there you go. But yes, I've never seen it, and uh, I'd love to, so if anybody's got a DVD, send it my way. That is amazing. I'm looking it up now. Yeah. Scientist Carl Lehman, David McElwraith, has created a high-tech suit that, due to a glitch, can cause its inhabitant to become very strong and incredibly violent. Yeah, like that. <laughs> when Carl dies in an accident at the lab, his colleague, Alex White, Richard Cox... Concocts a crazy plan. Oh my god. Soon he realizes he cannot control the crazed cyborg he has engineered. Don't you just hate when that happens? Oh, it's <laughs> so annoying. <laughs> what are you doing today, Mike? Um, engineering a crazy cyborg. You'll never be able to control it. Oh, I think I know better, mate. So. How about you, Chris? Posters. How about me? Uh, yeah, I did have posters on my wall. Uh-huh. Um, I had, so I had two phases. Uh, I had my, my bedroom at home in Northern Ireland, which was the dominant poster I can recall on there was. Total Recall. Right. Because I think I, I didn't really put stuff... I didn't really... My, my bedroom, and this may surprise you, for a long, long time was a shrine to Liverpool Football Club. No. Seriously? This, this, you? May, this may surprise you. Ugh. And then <laughs> somewhere around 1989, 1990, around about when I really first discovered Empire, I switched to putting film stuff on my wall. So Total Recall is the main poster I remember putting on there. But I also remember at one point I went around and I, oh, this, I, I shudder when I think about this now. I defaced a whole bunch of my empires and I cut out posters from like one page adverts yeah. and I put them up on the wall mm-hmm. and I would rotate them. So every every now and again, and it wouldn't even be posters necessarily for films I liked. 
So I remember having a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles poster on there. Which is a very, very small thing. And like, you know, really, I think I had Forever, forever Young. <laughs> I'm just, I remember Forever Young somehow being on my wall. Well, you just I've love never you- seen Forever Young. I don't even... It's not one of his best. Yeah, I imagine it's not. It's um, got, you know, you just love Mel Gibson's face. I understand I that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I loved. I remember, I've, I've, I've got good, fond childhood memories of the poster for the Bounty because I like yeah. Mel Gibson's face. That was that was, that was a giddy laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Our shared love of Mel Gibson's yeah. face. Wow. Maybe we'll do a podcast. Gibbo's yeah. face. You got to live Gibbo's face. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, the, these the, days it's problematic. It's more of a problematic face, and 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 it's upsetting in many ways. Uh, but uh, yeah. um, back but, in those days, those innocent days of the yeah. 80s, where people could get away with so many things, um, <laughs> Mel Gibson's face was acceptable. Mel Gibson's face was acceptable. It was a good Once face. Acceptable. Yes. It was a very good face. It was a very before good Before the face. dark times, before the empire. Uh, he really, yeah, that sure. guy, the guy looked good. Uh, yeah. And then at university, yeah. I just put up a whole bunch of stuff. So I had X-Files and, you know, Kurt Cobain because I'm a raging cliche and R.E.M. and all that sort of stuff. But then in my final year at university, my bedroom, which is a very small bedroom, turned into a, a, a combination of shrines. It was a shrine. It was one shrine to Nicolas Cage. Of course, because at that point, in, at that point in my life, he was the coolest man on the planet. Yeah, this is around the time of Face Off and Con Air and The Rock and all those movies. And uh, so there was a whole Nicolas Cage thing going on. And then on the other half, there was a Sandra Bullock thing going on because I think I, we can all understand that. I adored her and worshipped her and uh, loved everything she was in, even if Two by C or Two If by C, whatever the hell it's called. But I, I liked that film. And so there was a whole bunch of great Sandra Bullock picks on, on like there as well, like Practical Magic and stuff. I really want to know you had a practical magic poster on I your wall. I didn't have a practical magic oh. poster. I had stuff from Speed. I had the poster for while you were sleeping on, <laughs> on my wall. Well, that I had a whole bunch. That's vaguely respectable. That's that's kind of fun. I don't know if you can remember this, uh, and we may be uh, going ahead above the heads of some of our younger listeners here, but uh, at the time, you could walk into HMV, which is a store that sells music and or sold music, still does, uh, music and DVDs and stuff, and you could buy 10 by 8 black and white shots of like all the cool people. So I pretty much bought their entire Santa Bullock stock. It sounds really weird and pervy, but it wasn't it wasn't sexual. Sure. I just wanted to be her friend. Sounds okay. like a load of bullocks to me. <laughs> <laughs> In my teenage bedroom, I was a giant nerd. Uh, so I had... No. I know, it's a, it seems shocking. But I had a bunch of uh, National Geo- Geographic maps because my grandfather had, had given us all a, a subscription to National Geographic. So I had big world maps and stuff on my on my wall. And then I had pictures of the likes of Spock. I'm not even kidding. It wasn't like a poster for Star Trek. It was a gigantic poster-sized image of Spock sitting there because I just thought he was cool. But it was a beautiful image as well. Like the blue was really popped, you know. Do you ever put anything in your ceiling? I had glow-in-the-dark stars on my ceiling. Mm. I didn't have pictures on my ceiling. And then, and then I actually, at that point in my life, I didn't really like film posters on my wall because the text annoyed me. I just wanted good pictures. So I would have like images and stills and stuff like that of, you know, Keanu Reeves and... River Phoenix and all those early 90s essentials. I've just remembered the other one I had. What's a that? view to a kill. Oh my <laughs> God. I'd go absolute, But these were massive. These were the ones that you get, like, you know, on the bus stops and everything. These were huge. And view to a kill was absolutely huge. Grace Jones back to back with Roger Moore on my wall. <laughs> wow. On my wall. I, every Whatever night I'd go, you, I'd go to bed looking at Grace Jones and Roger Moore rubbing butts. <laughs> well, who wouldn't? I don't think we can follow that, can we? You've just reminded me, I can't, but I'm going to anyway. Um, you've just reminded me that at university, I, I went to university in York and uh, a bunch of my my, fr- my friends, we were all in the same course, ended up working at we, we, uh, at the Odeon, the local Odeon. And so they would get all the cool, hmm. big posters whenever they were they were finished with their run. So I had like an Independence Day one, which uh, you know, nice. was a film I loved back in the day. And uh, I just remembered this. I had a full-size Bruce Willis standee in my bedroom from Last Man Standing. <laughs> that, wow, that's that's a re- that's that's a really average film. <laughs> it's a really average film. Yeah, that's. I mean, it, I, I was so excited about that film, and I went to see it. And I just thought that was really average. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. Wow. But for yeah. some reason, I had the I had the standee. Yeah. So huh. there we go. I wish I had the Vindicator standee now. To be <laughs> yeah. honest, that would have been much much cooler. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it used to be a point where I just I, when I was I was saying the same thing as Dan. I was massively into horror films even as a kid. 
But when I would go into video stores, and for younger listeners, video stores are places that you could go into and it's like rent iTunes videos. made flesh. <laughs> yeah, basically. Mm. <laughs> and they were in these, and the films came in these like brittle plastic boxes that yeah. had uh, reels of tape inside them. It was amazing. Which we call VHS. It was absolutely amazing. But I would be scared of the posters for the horror films. And I would kind of sneak a peek at them. You know, I remember like the Dawn of the Dead poster and the, the, the VHS box or uh, the Hills of Ice 2. Yeah. They had these really lurid <laughs> illustrations on them. Chud. The Boogeyman. I remember Chud. Chud, yeah. And American Werewolf in London. See, that was, see, for me, it was when they used to have the video rental section in the supermarket. So when, my, when I went to do the, the weekly shopping with my mum and my brother and sister, she would then get to the checkout with, you know, all the two weeks worth of food or whatever it was or, no, or what weeks worth of food obviously because it's a weekly shop and then she would send us off to go and look at the videos so we had something to do while she was doing the checkout and yeah me and my little brother would just look at all these unattainable horror films and Amazing. freak ourselves out by the pictures on the cover good times Amazing. happy times Grant yeah. yeah that's a hell of a question that was a good question that's my favourite question ever and you know I like questions like that because no one can ever write in and going no <laughs> no, wrong. you had the wrong poster well, on your wall. in fairness, we probably have siblings who could write in and go, oh, you forgot. What kind of an idiot are you? Probably. <laughs> but honestly, I, I, you know, as much as a Liverpool fan as I am, I prefer having Arnold Schwarzenegger's face on my wall as opposed to John Wark's. I just... You know, that's. I'm just, sure. I, I thought you'd get that reference having nailed <laughs> the my, offside rule earlier. With my on. massive knowledge of football, yes. John Walker, of course, played for Ipswich and Liverpool mm. and played for Scotland and is a massive part of Escape to Victory. Right. On, and Helen. is he famously not handsome or something? Like, why Why would you rather. No, I just, chose, I just chose John Walker. I remember I had an autographed John Walker uh, poster on my wall. Yeah. Is okay. he in Is he in Walkcraft? Yeah. <laughs> 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 If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, uh, you can send them to us via Twitter. We're on, on there as at Empire Magazine, and we have the hashtag Empire Podcast, so use that, otherwise we won't see it. You can email us, podcast at empireonline.com, and we are, of course, on Facebook. Who knows, maybe we'll have a Facebook question next week. Okay, time now for this week's guest. He is an actor who's perhaps indelibly linked with his great creation, Dr. Fraser Crane, of course, across 10 seasons of Cheers and another 10 seasons of Fraser. But Kelsey Grammer, for It Is He, has had a busy time of it of late. He's been both hero and villain in a string of blockbusters from X-Men The Last Stand to Expendables 3 to Transformers Age of Extinction. But this week, he plays a Brit for, I believe, the very first time, which is weird because I've always imagined his voice be quite... British in Breaking the Bank. He came along to the pod booth this week to talk to Nick Desemlian, or as autocorrect of my <laughs> script has done, Chick Desemlian, <laughs> and myself, and he was on very good revealing form. Kelsey, that is, not Chick. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Kelsey Grammer. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello, I'm well, thanks. How are you guys? I'm not too bad. I'm not good. too bad. Thanks for joining us. Uh, just being in a radio studio, bring back memories? Some. <laughs> good or bad? Uh, no, they're all good. Uh, uh-huh. but I didn't spend a lot of time really in a radio station. We just oh, you had shock a me. set. You shock that me. resembled one. But, uh, you know, technology's changed some. We had all those cartridges and stuff we were supposed to slip in and out of uh, mm-hmm. decks, basically. That, mm-hmm. So that's over with now, apparently. So. Do people think that you can actually work a radio studio? Run a studio? Yeah. Um, probably not. Because <laughs> I, I might struggle here with some of the technical okay, issues, uh, but we might ask you at some point. But um, you obviously you, you made a film called Breaking the Bank, which is mm-hmm. out this week, yep. um, and in which you rock. I have to say, one heck of a British accent. Oh, thank you very much. Thank yeah. you. Yes, yeah. now, it's been years of you know, I, I guess misspent youth. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like my English friends, and so there's a, yeah, there's a bit of an homage to all that. I, I always wanted to play a Brit. This guy is pretty much British. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. He's, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's well. as British as they come. Can you do uh, regional dialects or is it... I'm having trouble with that. Um, <laughs> I can do a little bit of Irish uh, and some Scots, but I can't uh, I can't really get this uh, Hartley Puddleian thing. Um, oh, really? Which okay. apparently used to be Hartle Pool. Yeah? Mm. No, it's Hartley Pool. Hartley Pool, yeah. yeah. My wife's family is mostly from Hartlepool, and it's been it's been sort of tempered a little bit the accent because they all live in Portis Head now. You know, where it's like tongue and duck duck, and uh, I'm I'm just at sea. <laughs> but, uh, so we went up recently. And some of the other part of the family, part of her family, you know, some of the kids are now starting to get a little more grown up. So their their accents are now taking a deeper root, uh-huh. and uh, they're they're really quite quite bizarre. <laughs> 
Lovely people I just don't, don't yeah, understand them. Well, accents are malleable things. Yeah, they are. I mean, mine is yeah. some sort of weird mongrel thing that's been going on for years. I think, yeah, there's, there's, sort of combination yeah, yeah. after a while. I like yeah. to think my accent's all-inclusive for something for everyone in there just to make you feel reassured. <laughs> right, good. Which is good. Um, but making this movie over here, I mean, how long did you spend shooting Breaking the Bad? We were here for six weeks. Six weeks? Yeah. Okay. Did, so, and obviously, I presume you know England well, fairly well. We've been here off and on quite a bit, you know, through yeah. the years. Mostly London, though. I mean, uh-huh. uh, we did uh, Woody, George, and I uh, did a... Phil Donahue show in Manchester years and years ago to celebrate Cheers and Coronation Street. Like a joint party. <laughs> like it was one, they were both set in a bar, apparently. Uh, wow. I don't even episode? know if that actually holds up, but that was sort of the conceit of the visit. And it was a lovely visit, and we all sat and talked. And I can't imagine you watching Woody Coronation Street. Woody and I got in trouble in London, you know, a couple of, <laughs> couple of days later. You know, and he, he, I know, he threw some candies across the room, and three, you know, big Cockney guys came <laughs> to get him, and I just said, no, 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 no. He didn't mean it. Because <laughs> no, no. I didn't want to see Woody, you know, sort of crumpled in a heap <laughs> in the back of an alley somewhere. <laughs> I think he could take care of himself, couldn't he? Well, these guys were pretty big. <laughs> Have you been to some pretty remote nooks and crannies of England? Then, um, you know, honestly, I really haven't. With Kate, I have, you know, because she is English. And so I, you know, I've visited a few more places. Like we took a ride from her home in Portishead to Cheddar Gorge. Mm hmm. And that was fun. Took a, you know, we took our bicycles along this, this lovely sort of uh, abandoned rail uh, line, and uh, they've changed all the tracks to a lovely sort of riding trail. And, uh, it was great. Very right? nice. So we've done that, you know, things like that. Very nice. So where, so where did you film Breaking the Bank? Where was that? Oh, mostly here. Mostly there was some part. Okay. There, there's Black Hanger Studios, which is out somewhere in the middle of nowhere, and uh, and and we filmed some of the bank stuff at what I think was Ian Fleming's childhood home. Really? Which is now donated to be a, a hospice, basically. Uh-huh, okay. So it's in the healthcare system um, as a property that takes looks after people. But uh, it was a very cool, mm. cool home. I, yeah. guess, I guess he had a lot of money. Yeah, I don't yeah. think he was uh, wanting. When he, when he grew up. Yeah. You know, just, yeah, the books, though, yeah, it's starved after that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, um, and the, the film itself is about the financial crash, Largely about the financial crash. Largely it's about the, well, that's the backdrop. Yeah, that's yeah. The, it's the canvas of what happens when, you know, the banking industry went kind of astray, and it's current, of course, but it's 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 kind of an homage to what the kind of thinking that happens then, and something that in playing the character, I, I started to realize, which is probably more true than the way we depict it now. There weren't like two or three guys, you know, wringing their hands and. <laughs> I'm going to just destroy the, the, the financial industry. What I've started to realize was that most of the guys that, you know, have taken the fall for this were probably innocent of any real charges, yeah. except maybe just coasting. You know, things yeah. seemed good. They had a life to live. Yeah. They had wives and homes and everything was prosperous. And, and so they weren't really paying attention, I think, most of the time. And that's kind of what this character is about. But he gets taken advantage of. You know, the circumstances are very specific to this particular bank. But... Mm-hmm. So I started to get, you know, a greater sense of sympathy and context for what took place back then. And I think in a lot of ways, everybody was kind of a victim. I, I remember uh, talking to Adam McKay, who obviously just won an Oscar for writing The Big Short. Right, yeah. Whether he was affected at the time, or whether that was something that, that, that motivated him to make that movie. And because you, you, you almost feel in a way that people who live and work in Hollywood would not necessarily be affected by something like the financial crash of 2008. Right. But did it affect you in any way? Did it affect Well, I lost some money. I lost yeah. some money and I lost value. You know, yeah. Value in my home. But what's interesting is, and this was a phenomenon we only, only we could do, the writing, Writers Guild went on strike in 2006. So we sort of preempted the recession and gave ourselves one <laughs> for another couple yeah. of extra years. Yeah. It was not the greatest success story in terms of a negotiation I'd ever seen. <laughs> um, hundreds of millions of dollars have been lost irretrievably <laughs> in that industry as a result of our own stubbornness. See, this, like, this happens all the time, but yeah. it's still... I did sort of quip for a long time that we just decided we'd want to get there sooner. So <laughs> that was us. Hollywood was dead for, you know, 2006 yeah. through like 9, 10. Yeah. So. Get the Kickstarter going. Yeah. Absolutely. We've just had Cannes recently, the film festival. And mm-hmm. It reminded me of the, the amazing promotional stunt you guys did for the Expendables. Free. Oh, yeah, it was really fun. So you guys yeah. rolled in. You rolled in on a tank. On a tank. With yeah, the first Ford tank and... that had been on uh, that soil since the American troops rolled into town wow. in uh, World War II. 
Can you talk us wow. through that day? Because I've always wanted the pictures. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. a great day. I mean, who the, you the, the tank with? stunk. I was next to Antonio Banderas, and uh, who else was on with us? Uh, Dolph, I think, was on ours, and <laughs> one of the kids, and I think Kellen Lutz was on with me. And Kellen and I have subsequently done another film together in Australia, sort of a adventure slash horror movie that's a, a, an Australian co-pro, Chinese co-pro, oh. which is um, really funny, called Nest. Okay. And uh, I, I'm a bad guy. I kind of love that you've, you've been popping up in all these action movies recently. There was, there was oh, the it's, X-Men it's really movie. fun. X-Men, yeah. Transformers, this one. Um, uh, it's, yeah. it's just uh, an expendable. It's just fun. I mean, I like making big movies. It's fun to be around that kind of money. It's like, it's like big kids playing, you know, Michael Bay said to me, so, well, you know, they give me $170 million and I have to spend it. <laughs> thinking, wow. That's like, you know, you could, you could hang out of that for a whole lifetime. But he has to spend it. So wow. I, uh, I find it really entertaining. Yeah, I talked really to fun. you on the phone while you were on that set making Oh, really? Ah, oh, cool. Yeah, the, the, the right. few years back. What, what was your Michael Bay experience like? I loved him. Oh, my God, I love that guy. I mean, he's so fun to deal with. You know, creative personalities, you know, they get impatient sometimes. I mean, he's sort of famous for, you know, blasting off at somebody who's not getting their job done. But it's usually... It's usually deserved. It's it's earned, you know. So maybe he gets, you know, he is after all spending 170 million dollars. <laughs> and so if if something's slowing that up, yeah. it it can be a pretty sizable response. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. A commensurate response. Mm. Yeah, but I, I really enjoyed him. He's so much fun. Such a fun guy. Such a, a wonderful director actually. So mm. I had a good time. No chance of you coming back. I mean, you were pretty unceremoniously bumped off in that they one as well. They pretty much kill yeah. me in all these movies I do. And <laughs> yeah. I'm really getting tired of it. I, I am tired <laughs> of not surviving. I mean, I watched uh, Story Toy, Toy Story 3 the other day with my kids. And, you know, sadly, Stinky Pete is not in Toy Story 3 because he's been, you know, sort of shipped off with the Barbies at the end of Toy Story 2. <laughs> and I'm, I'm doing another, another cartoon film called Storks, which is coming out in, uh, I think, October. And the first thing I said is, I said, are you killing him? <laughs> you killing this guy? Because, you know, I'm, I'm falling in love with him. And if he if he's gone for, you know, storks too, I'm just going to, it's going to hurt. Okay. <laughs> Do you get a lot of Frasier types coming your way? Because it seems uh, to me in terms of your TV work, certainly you know, since Frasier, you seem to be deliberately trying to go the other way. Yeah, no, I mean, there's no reason to play Frasier anywhere else again. Yeah. You know, he's specific unto that show. I mean, he's yeah. so fun. What a wonderful character, and and I, I wouldn't want to try to play him somewhere else. Mm. He's uh, even under an assumed name. You, you I mean, know. under an assumed yeah. name. So, my, yeah, I deliberately point my life towards something else. I mean, I, I, I don't want to reinvent my career, but I actually don't want to repeat it either. Mm. So, I mm. I enjoy trying these different things. If if, I, if there's no room for that in my life, well, then I'll go do something else. There's an amazing fact about you and Fraser Crane, though. Oh. That you have won, and correct me if I'm wrong, this uh, an Emmy for playing him in three different shows. Nominated. Nominated. Only That's one still amazing. in Frasier. That's still amazing. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And I did win an Emmy for uh, Sideshow Bob. Okay. Well, that's, that's great. Quite a performance. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. So, uh, you, but you played Frasier, obviously, in Cheers, Frasier, and Cheers, Wings. Cheers, Frasier, and Wings. Well. Yeah. 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 And I did, I was nominated for Cheers once, and uh, that was such a lovely surprise, because I always felt like I was the guy that was, you know, overlooked during mm-hmm. the Cheers years. You know, I got it back, didn't I? (laughs) (laughs) You certainly did. You certainly did. Um, Can I also ask about your experience on X-Men? Oh, gosh, I love doing that. I was so proud to be invited into that franchise. And then, of course, they haven't invited me back. So (laughs) I keep thinking, what the hell am I doing wrong? But, um, well, I did do, do like, a cameo appearance in the very last one. Yes. They've changed the makeup since then, which was kind of fun. Brian Singer returned to the movie. Uh, Brett Ratner directed the one I was in. Uh And I thought it was a pretty good film. Uh, One thing I liked about working with Brett, he he never made a lazy shot. I thought, this is interesting. Um, He's kind of a hot shot and pretty talented guy. And he he talks a lot, but he's he's got this thing. But he'd look at a shot as it was, you know, being rehearsed and stuff. And he'd he'd, he'd come in and go, that's not, it's not not enough. It's not interesting enough. And I really admired that about him. I thought, Mm -hmm. this is is a guy that's a filmmaker. He loves making a movie. And and so he doesn't, he's not lazy about it, and I really respect that. Uh, with Brian, of course, I mean, I just walked down the hall, and that was the end of it. So you know, <laughs> which I, I I couldn't believe that you came back for that one shot. Well, you, you know, I just thought it was important to kind of yeah wel- welcome him back yeah to that time, you know. And I thought it was important that I be the guy that did it. 
it was amazing that you were. I mean, uh, you know, there should have been a massive close-up just with you looking at the camera going, it is me. This I is am I. in the makeup. Thank you for calling me. under here. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the last stand, the Brett Ratner's movie, was made under uh, extreme duress. I mean, Brett was a very, very last-minute replacement for Matthew Vaughn. Matthew who, Vaughn, and I loved Max, Matthew Vaughn. I love his work. Mm. And I, I, I sense it, actually... Uh, I was trying to get in a movie that he was directing soon, but which did not work out. Okay. So I'm, I, you know, I guess maybe the the love is gone. And then it was Brett Ratner, and that, that turned out okay. Yes. And uh, there was some fun stuff that happened. Brett, the very first day I shot, the first day of shooting, we were doing a little moment where I was holding my glasses up to this painting. It was a dolly shot, and they started to move, and it went back a little bit, and then the cameraman said, "Cut, cut." I thought, "Oh boy." Somebody's getting fired today. Because <laughs> if I was directing that picture and the cameraman had said, cut, cut, yeah. I would have fired him. So <laughs> the next day, I show up on set and said, well, there's a new cameraman. <laughs> but what, is, what was funny was the, the DP, the director of photography, was so loyal to the cameraman that had been fired, yes. he walked off the set. Oh, wow. So we had flown in, they'd flown in another guy overnight uh-huh. and brought in this guy who was fantastic. So, you know, things just are funny that way. They work out pretty well in the end. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And do you, do you go back and revisit your, your, your own work? Do you look at your old films? You know, if, if I bump into something, I see, yeah. you know, it's a, odds are the most prolific thing out there is Frasier, though. You know, you can see a, an episode almost anywhere, anywhere in the world at any time of the day. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of fun. You know, and I'll, I'll look at a show and go, yeah, I would love that one. You know, <laughs> oh, that one's funny. Yeah. I, I, I remember them all, so, you know. Do you have a favorite? Um... There are favorite things about several different shows, you know, for a lot of different reasons. But I think I think one of the best shows actually was the one where I was dancing on the the four poster bamboo bed, you know, having sex with myself. <laughs> pretty interesting. Not unlike life itself, really. But, you know, imagine getting paid for that. That's, you know, imagine that. You know, Nick actually once embarked on a Fraser Thon. I did. I watched every episode. On, did you really? On, on Netflix. Well, they're good. They yep. hold up. Yeah, it's, it's a good show. Do. And what's what, one thing that was a deliberate choice was we did our best to stay out of contemporary culture, so you don't have to do too many references to things that were very cool that year. Mm. You know, because then it dates the show, and you start going, but mm. nobody does that anymore. <laughs> Um, it still feels so. It fresh. still feels like it's real, yeah, yeah. And, and could happen today. So that's what's that's well, what's really fun. My favorite is the restaurant episode. Well, that's one of the greats. Perfect. That's it's truly one of the greats. And then when when she pulls that eel across, <laughs> kills the eel, and it's standing there in front of David's <laughs> face like this, it's, it's pretty. It's funny. amazing physical comedy, though. It was the great. You, you know, it was great. We sort of earned a big, big show once in a while. So it was really fun, and there were great moments. You could tell the characters loved each other, and and that was important. You know, they 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 took their lives seriously within the context of it being funny. I think that's why it lasted. And of course, on that set, you were surrounded by British accents as well. Uh, obviously, Jane Leaves. That's right. John yeah, Mahoney no, tons of those. Yeah, yeah. John John Mahoney too. I mean, he grew up in England. Born, yeah. You know, right? Um, Does he still have the accent? He had a pretty at times? serious American yeah. accent by then, though. No. That's, his, that's yeah. his actual accent. Yeah, that's, that's the way okay. he speaks. Yeah. 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 Uh, I just wonder if he can maybe drag it out when when the uh, occasion calls for it. You know what he. He was asked to do a kind of British accent, and, and he couldn't do it. <laughs> I remember him sort of, I think maybe he was deliberately not doing it well, you know, to, to sort of just be a, a funny about it. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, so he tried to do a, so he, he said, I just can't do it. So I mean, that's kind of charming. I'd have you show him how to do it. Yeah, show um, him the ropes. Yes, yes, exactly. That's the goal. <laughs> and just a couple of last things, Kelsey, before we let you go. I mean, we're obviously talking a lot about Frasier, and you've directed episodes of Frasier in the past. I mean, have you? Yeah, I think I did 31 of them, yes. Wow, that's 31. That's a chunk of them. That's amazing. You did I mean, 264, but... Still, uh, that's a fair chunk of... Yeah. of uh, that's a fairly good percentage. Um, have you thought about... Uh, Frasier, is Frasier's story done when you think about a movie? Is that something that... That's oh, ever gosh. I, it's, like a, it's like another movie of uh, Sex in the City, honestly. Mm. I just think... <laughs> Not the same plot. Uh, clearly. <laughs> you go to it's Dubai just, and shop. I am as interested in doing another Fraser as I am in seeing another Sex in the City. <laughs> and I love all those women. I think they're all fabulous. Just not particularly interesting. Didn't quite work. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask one, one thing I love that you popped up in was 30 Rock. And I love Oh, the, yeah, the, no, as, as Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer song. Know, Kelsey Grammer slash James Bond. It you was, do this amazing uh, very Bond interesting. sort of credit sequence. It was with, pretty with, cool. Yeah. Do you have that as your ringtone? Because I would. <laughs> I should, shouldn't I? I didn't even think of it. I, I, well, maybe I'd better get it. <laughs> <laughs> was that fun to do? How did you get involved in that? It was a riot. I mean, they just called me one day and said, do you want to do this 
thing. The first one was uh, some sort of friends thing. Friends that do friends and they post scams on one another. Mm -hmm. They did like do long cons on one another. And I was part of a long con at a bakery or something. And so then we shot that one. That was a couple years before that. Then they called me again and said, do you want to come and do this? You're playing yourself again. But this time, <laughs> it's, it's so, you know. But I thought, you know, how wonderful that they thought up something that silly. So you just get these random calls out of nowhere. Usually, yeah. And, yeah. and you're, you're game that's, most that's, Actually, that's what happens to your career, finally. <laughs> Someone's sitting somewhere and goes like, Get Kelsey Grammer on the phone. <laughs> what is your best death sequence? Because you were saying you've died quite a lot. My best death sequence actually was on stage. I played Sir Edward Mortimer in Mary, Queen of Scots, mm -hmm. which was a Schiller play, which I put a terrible translation by this an Englishman named Mellish, who had a German name. But it's the only one Schiller actually would commission. It was just awful. And... Uh, I mean, whenever somebody was mad at somebody, they'd call him a hapless wretch. Was, uh, come on, guys, there's got to be another adjective for, a, like, a guy who's not in a good place. But they were, they were committed to this idea. This is the Guthrie Theater in Minnesota. And uh, there were 10 construction guys that were hired to be the halberd-like guards of Mary. So I break in. I'm a Catholic zealot who's going to save her. And uh, that doesn't go so well. The guards find me. And they stuck 10 halberds in me. <laughs> as I was hanging from this sort of jail-like superstructure that looked like some sort of grotto, <laughs> shadowy thing, shiny, and I'm, I, I end up hanging up in it with like all these things stuck in me. It was, it was pretty great. My old English teacher came and saw that and said, it's the best death I've ever seen. <laughs> That's literally overkill. <laughs> it was the best death. Kelsey Grammer, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in. Thank yeah. you so much. Indeed. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you. Cheers. Did you see the face swap this week? I Someone did. did. It was on Twitter. At um, the end of the interview, I showed it to him and he went, I've seen it. Of course he had. I'm listening. <laughs> oh, damn it, Niles, he said. Which is weird. It is odd. <laughs> it was strange. Uh, yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? So yeah. someone face swapped, which you can do on Snapcat? Snap, I, snap, snap I don't know. But yes, they face swapped uh, Niles and Fraser Crane, um, or David Hyde Pierce and Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. And you can not you can barely tell. You have to stare at the image for a good 10 seconds before you realise that a face swap has actually occurred. Mm. Um, it's it's really uncanny and very impressive. I want to go back and rewatch a lot of Fraser now. Yeah, me too. He was a, he was a top guy. Top guy. Right, movie news. Movie news. Yes. What's happened? I presume something happened massive last week, uh, the minute the podcast went up. I imagine Marvel cast the next 25 projects. Well, I mean, not cast yet, but there are very strong rumours emerging about Captain Marvel. Mm -hmm. And the, the strong rumours yeah. involve uh, Brie Larson, which which is extremely exciting um, and, and seems, you know, on the face of it, like extremely good casting because she's incredibly talented. She's smart. She's very, very beautiful, obviously. She kind of looks like Carol Danvers traditionally looks, if that sort of thing matters to you in comic book casting. And of course, she, she won the Oscar for Room, uh, which is amazing. If you haven't seen it, do check it out. And she has Kong Skull Island uh, coming up. So yeah. she's got a little bit of blockbuster experience already under her belt. Not to mention, of course, Scott Pilgrim, uh, which she started in obviously a few years ago. Hmm. So, um, so yeah, it's not by any means actual casting at this point. They're, they're even calling it early talks. But um, she's apparently Marvel's top choice for the role and is seriously considering it. Yes, that sounds great. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I am also seriously considering <laughs> it. They haven't actually offered it to me, but I think mm. I've got a good chance. Did, are, are you also top, top choice for the role, do you think? Maybe not top, mm. but I certainly, I've sent my tape in to Kevin Feige. Right. Very revealing dress. And uh, hopefully that might sway him. Well, I mean, I can't imagine anyone I'd rather see with a boob window in their costume, Chris. <laughs> This Helen is why I've been working on my man boobs for years. <laughs> I keep telling you this. Uh, I also uh, affixed to the tape a crisp five-pound note. So I think, well, let's I think. see you match that, Larson. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great choice. Uh, I think she is going to be awesome. But I, I, I don't really know Captain Marvel. I don't know the, t the, the title of the series. Doesn't it change up a lot? Who is Captain Marvel changes a lot. Um, Throughout the Marvel different history, Marvels. there have been different Captain Marvels. Yeah, and the most recent Captain Marvel, am I correct in this, uh, is... No, that's, no? that's Ms. Ms. Marvel. Marvel. Ah! Ms. Right. Marvel. Right, Ms. and Captain... You're thinking of Kamala Khan, though, Ms. who's, yeah. who's terrific. Yes. And those comics are great, mm. uh, but that's not the same as Captain Marvel. Right, thank you. Because, yeah, it's very confusing because, of course, there's also Marvel Girl. Who is yes, Jean Grey, basically. Yes. So, uh, you can forgive me and for... And, like, Shazam turns into... 
Ah, yes, because that's Captain, Captain Marvel or something. No, isn't it? Captain it Marvel is Captain Marvel. Is Captain Marvel. Oh, yeah. crikey. Because basically, what? So what happens is Carol Danvers, who is a test pilot, right? Her DNA is melded with that of a Cree warrior who is called Marvel. And that's how she gets her superpowers. And she's a fairly traditional lineup of superpowers, I think it's fair to say. Sort of Superman ish yeah. levels of superpowers. And in the comics, there was obviously that great sort of arc where she uh, collided with Rogue and Rogue accidentally drained her of all her powers okay. and she was kind of depowered and Rogue then had massive guilt issues and it was really cool. I don't think they're doing that in the film for obvious reasons. But there was another Captain Marvel who was Captain Marvel when Secret Wars happened. That's right. Who was, was African American, yeah. right? Yes. And yes. her powers were very different. She had prepared herself at almost the speed of light with a really, really cool kind <laughs> of trail. Monica Rambeau, I believe her name was. Uh, you may have me in that one. Yes, I think so. Because cause Secret Wars was my entry into to, uh, into the Marvel Universe. So uh-huh. that's probably why it sticks into my head. Very interesting indeed, mm. Daniel Dolan. Yes. If that is indeed your real name. Cool. I like this. It's a good casting. Yeah, but we'll have to wait and see, well, basically. One day Marvel will cast someone where we all just go, what the hell? What the <laughs> hell is that? Who? Well, what? What I, is that? I still think Robert Downey Jr. was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> That, just, that's never going to work, yeah. is it? It's yeah. just not going to work. He's not yeah. Tony Stark. Yeah. He can't just, even grow his own facial hair. Exactly. Are you Are you thinking of... I'm thinking of myself. Okay. <laughs> Basically. We've cast Chris Hewitt as Tony Stark in the reboots of Iron Man going forward. We, we've, <laughs> the, the, the film's not out until 2022. We just had to announce it now to give Chris six years to grow a beard. <laughs> Well, no, we're, we're saving money on his fee and we're using it on prosthetic CG hair. CG beard. <laughs> it just moves every time I'm on screen. <laughs> Hello, I'm Tony Stark. Look at me being so eccentric. Right. Amazing. Uh, um, what else? Oh, is this going to be... I have, ha- to, oh, I have to talk about this. Oh, you know no. I have to talk about this. Yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda, author of the Broadway musical Hamilton. His previous musical is In the Heights. Yeah. And it has apparently got a new movie home. They are adapting that for the big screen. And it's back on the development track. It's been That's optioned before. Playing here in London. In the Heights, it has yeah. been. I'm not sure if it's finished yet. I think it's still on. Okay. I, I, I wanted to go and see it, and then I, I did something else. Well, it's super cheap, so you should totally go see it. But it already won Tonys and everything else. It was a big hit on Broadway from about 2008 on. Uh, so four Tony wins from 13 nominations. Obviously, Hamilton has 16 nominations this year. Hello. So it was picked up by Universal in 2008, and Kenny Ortega was at one point going to direct. That would have been after the success of High School Musical, I guess, which had mm-hmm. you know oh. added a little bit of fire to his career. But it kind of lingered around until 2011. It went into turnaround, and now Harvey Weinstein's company is aboard to produce it alongside Lin Manuel Miranda, who is indeed non-stop because uh, there's a new draft of that screen uh, that script coming up he's obviously still performing nightly on Broadway as Alexander Hamilton and that is terrific and you should listen to it if you haven't yet he's also appearing opposite Emily Blunt in the Mary Poppins sequel Mm -hmm. and he's writing songs from uh, Moana which means working with the rock what (laughs) so uh, he's basically the best and uh, yeah so anyway we shall shall have to see more there we go But, uh, but yeah In the Heights good excellent do you know why I saw Hamilton did you see Hamilton? Um, no, okay. but I dreamt about seeing Hamilton. Weirdly, I had—I genuinely <laughs> had a dream about going to see Hamilton the other night, and I was in New York. Yeah. In this dream, and I was trying to get tickets to Hamilton, and someone had put me in a room with someone who's in the know. Okay. Oh. And it was very, very exciting, and, and he slipped me two tickets and said, "These are the best tickets in the house. <gasps> this is amazing wow. tickets." And I got there, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> My seats were behind a wall. <laughs> All I could hear were people having a great time. I don't know what that dream says about me. I think it says that you want to be in the room where it happens. That's what I think it says. Yeah, but I think it also maybe says that in life, I'm often behind a wall, <laughs> listening to people having a much, much better time than I am. Oh. Anyway. 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 So in um, summary, go see Hamilton and or In the Heights. In um, summary, <laughs> this, week's an, this week's weekly go see Hamilton. Are you on commission? I should be. You should be. I was very pleased this week to see uh, the Harry Potter and the Cursed Child play is opening very, very soon at the Palace Theatre? I don't know, Dominion the one on Cambridge Theater? Circus. The one that's near us. Dominion, uh, yeah. Dominion. No, Dominion. Dominion. Dominion's over by... Um, no. That's where We Were Rocky was. This oh, is yeah. great for anyone who doesn't yeah. go to London. Yeah, sorry. Two, three <laughs> people discussing where theatres are. Uh, I think it's a palace. It's a sure. palace theatre just down the road. If it's not, then my apologies. Uh, so Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is about to start there, start previews very, very soon. And they've been releasing images this week of the cast. 
which is very, very cool. So we got our very first look this week at the grown-up Harry and the new Hermione, who's, of course, played by Noma Dumezweni, uh, which is very, very cool indeed. Mm-hmm. And Ron and Hermione's daughter, Rose Granger Weasley, played by Jarell Skeet. Uh, Ron's Paul Thornley. It's, it, it looks, yeah, it looks good. Just this morning, they released uh, Draco and his son Scorpio. Um, oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. So okay. He looked very Malfoy-esque. So. Aryan. Clearly, still around causing problems. Yes, <laughs> that also, mm. but exceptionally so with the with the flax and hair mm. and everything. Targaryen. Targaryen. That's how yeah. they look exactly. Yeah. In terms of other news, I did just mention Moana a minute ago, which obviously stars Dwayne the Rock Johnson, which mm-hmm. obviously brings me to Doc Savage. Yes. Um, we'll be talking about the nice guys in a little while, won't we? And we will. Shane Black's the director of that, and he is also planning, and has been for a while now, an adaptation of Doc Savage, which is a what 1930s cartoon character. He's been around forever anyway. And uh, he's planning to have Dwayne Johnson star in it, which mm. is exceptionally good casting because basically in the comics, Doc Savage is a guy who has been kind of, it's kind of like twins, Arnold Schwarzenegger and twins. He's been bred to be... You know, sort of the peak of physical perfection. He's been he's been trained. He's trained his body. He's trained his ma- mind to be just superior, uh, and then he uses his great powers to go around helping people. And he is described as the man of bronze, so kind of bronze skinned. Mm-hmm. He is generally bald. Who else are you going to get but his rockness? I have to say, I'm a bit concerned about the rock's schedule. I <laughs> I know that the man, and this won't go until after Shane Black directs the Predator. Yeah, but. I'm a bit concerned because last week that he announced he was going to star in Ross and Marshall Thurber's Skyscraper, which is a diehard meets towering inferno uh, disaster movie set in a skyscraper in China. Sure. Uh, he's also got Baywatch coming up. He's got the well, San Andreas sequel. Yeah, oh, pretty yeah, much that's... done. But he's got he's obviously he's filming Fast Eight at the moment. Yeah. Uh, he ha- he seems to be. He's still doing voice work on Moana. He's still doing voice work on Moana. He's he's got about eight million projects on the go at the moment. Yeah, Bowlers uh, season whatever. We're yeah. On. Uh, I don't know. I'm concerned. Uh, unless he's discovered cloning, I, I just you know we now and again in this podcast we we express uh, concern for the welfare of Benedict Cumberbatch and just say, <laughs> hey man, just you know take a break, slow down. It's okay to say no every now and again and take a day off. Take a day off. Just just a lunch hour. Just have a lunch hour, Ben. Honestly, what's going on? And I'm going to say the same thing to Dwayne. Um, I'm 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 hyped about this this film because the uh, I don't know has anyone else have any of you, you guys did you see Doc Savage the Man of Bronze the 1975 movie? No, I did not. I was ah, reading about it recently. Actually, yes, Michael Anderson who uh, did uh, Around the World in 80 Days the as well directed that. That was a big film of my childhood. Uh, like terrified me. It terrified. It scared the living shit out of me because there were these things and they were like glowing, flying energy snakes, Ew. right? And they had like arrow, they were like vipers, except they were animated and they were green and glowing. And they slithered through the air and zapped people to death and they got no. burns on them and they screamed Ew. and died. No. And they, I used to like, you know, I'd go to bed and think that one of these things would come sort of appearing around the side of my bedroom door and come in and try and get me. <gasps> and that film was set because Doc Savage has a gang, right? Yeah. And um, that film had a cliffhanger. It had like sequel bait at the end of it uh-huh. where Doc, who, by the way, is, is very big and very blonde in this version of the film. <laughs> so not at all like The Rock, but uh, he's better casting, don't worry. And uh, at the end, Doc gets a, a frantic call from, from, from his chums. They're in trouble. They're in trouble. They need him. And then the film ends. <gasps> and I have been waiting <laughs> <laughs> for Doc Savage, Man of Bronze 2, right? Never came. I'm, no. I'm honestly, I'm, I'm like Fry's dog in future armor with this film. I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, where is it? Well, so I hope, you know, Shane Black, if you're listening, answer that uh, question. Watch that film again. You've probably already seen it, uh-huh. and make your film a sequel to it. Yeah, or not. I I'd mean, be amazed be if, he, if he wasn't listening. <laughs> I'd be disappointed, quite frankly, because he, of course, is on the podcast. Uh, hopefully, around about now, at the same time, you're going to be listening to this. You will be able to listen to our Nice Guys podcast special. So, obviously, we had a Q and A uh, recently at London Cinema with Joel Silver and Shane Black, and we will be bringing that Q and A to you mostly in full. Uh, so, if you weren't there, don't worry. You can you'll be able to hear it, and we'll be talking about the Nice Guys. Well, pretty much any second now. Yeah, really. Um, no other big news. I don't think we saw our first uh, look at the monster trucks film the the trailer for that went online this week it, it's it's literally a monster in a truck um <laughs> so i mean it could be a sort of amblin nice kind of 80s throwback but it felt really 
Amblin the 80s, slightly too high concept, maybe for its own good, mm. uh, based on that trailer. But, you know, it, 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 it could be fun. Thank Could you. be fun. Uh, should we address this Star Wars Rogue One reshoot kerfuffle that's going on at the moment? Uh, a lot of speculation that Rogue One is having reshoots and is therefore in some kind of trouble as if reshoots or additional shooting is not part and parcel of the blockbuster process these days. Yeah, I think it has to be. And I don't think mm. it's a bad thing. I think it's uh, it's probably more correct. We should probably start calling them pickups rather than reshoots. Additional shooting is Additional shooting, additional shooting yeah, yeah. yeah. Because... You know, it's it, it sometimes, you know, sometimes something that you have no control over happens and you're better off reshooting the ending. For example, we talked last summer about the end of Fantastic Four, the very last moment of Fantastic Four absolutely mimicked the end of Avengers Age of Ultron. If they hadn't already had a whole lot of other problems to sort out with that film, they might have been as well to go back and spend a day coming up with a better line to end on than a, an exact mimic of a much better film two months before. So that kind of thing, which is out of your control, is a very good idea to to reshoot. There may have been something that was an unintentional echo of something else. There may have been a moment that they thought played really well and they just wanted to emphasise it or pick it up or Mm. develop it a little bit further. Um, It's nothing to worry about, I don't think. Well, let's hope not. Mm. Um, Well, yeah. Let's hope not. I mean, the the word seems to be that it's all part of drawing it close to A New Hope. I mean, you know, they're like saying that this film will go right up to 10 minutes before A New Hope. So it's like the true prequel, if Mm. you like. How much that means what they're shooting additionally is actually addressing that or to do with that is uncertain. But uh, yeah. that's the uh, the quote from the source. But you'd also have to guess that any reshoots would also include, I'm guessing, Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo for the first time. Oh, that's also possible, yeah. Uh, and maybe this mm. was scheduled in. I mean, that's see that worries me though. That yeah, worries that me though because that's, that feels together. like crowbarring. Um, and and, and like, a, how small is the universe? Do yeah, you know what I, mean? I know that, that that worries me as well. It's something that that's always been a, a problem with uh, the prequels. The only problem the prequels have, obviously. Obviously, um, five stars. <clears> um, what? What? Mm. I think it's just part and parcel. I mean, every big film does it these days. They set aside a block of time. They have their big shoot. Their technical term. They have their big shoot, and then they have a little shoot. Uh, towards the end so uh, Apocalypse had two or three weeks in February January, February that was always scheduled in Hmm. Hugh Jackman's cameo was always scheduled in for that time it was not uh, a last minute panic thing the same thing with Civil War yeah Marvel always have that that time just to finesse things and maybe shoot some extra stuff to clear some pop points up Hopefully that's the same thing happening with Rogue One. Uh, very quickly, Helen, uh, this is very exciting news. Yes, uh, Empire Live is, of course, happening this September, the 23rd to the 25th. It's going to be at the O2 in London. And we were able to announce a few more items on the schedule this week. Uh, so we are going to be having a labyrinth screening, followed by a Q&A with the film's amazing designer, Brian Frude, and the creature workshop artist, Wendy Frude. Yes, they are some relation. They are, in fact, married. And in fact, the baby from the film is her son. Oh. Hmm. And masquerade ball attire is encouraged, so please, somebody wear that amazing big white dress. Male or female, I don't mind. Uh, we're also going to have a special preview screening of John Michael McDonough's War on Everyone, which is extremely exciting. That has Alexander Skarsgård and Michael Peña, so good, good stuff there. And this is very exciting as a big fan of this film. We're going to have the extended cut of The Martian on the big screen before its DVD and Blu-ray re-release in October. So it's even more Matt Damon farming on Mars. I couldn't be wow. more excited about that. So that's just a few of the things. Obviously, that's not the complete program. That's just a little bit of a taster. We're going to be announcing much, much more on the yeah. way to September. And people can buy tickets yes. by going to empireonline.com forward slash live. Of course, it takes place on September 23rd to the 25th. We're going to be doing a live podcast. It's going to be very, very fun. It's going to be a live pint of milk. It's going to be quizzes. It's going to be all sorts of stuff as well. So uh, if you haven't got your tickets yet, still plenty of time. But uh, do check it out at the, uh, at the website. We'd love to see you there. It'd be awesome. Right, time for the reviews now. We talked about the Nice Guys. We do have a Nice Guys special podcast. It's not a spoiler special. It's a special Q&A podcast going up. So let's start with the Nice Guys, which is the return of Shane Black as a director and sees Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe as a, a double act. They said it wouldn't work, but they said that about Chris Evans and Matt LeBlanc. And I think they proved their doubters wrong. <laughs> so how about the Nice Guys? So the nice guys, uh, Shane Black, very much back in his comfort zone, but he's fantastic when he's in his comfort zone. So it's a buddy movie, a double act. It's set in L.A. Uh, There's Christmas stuff in it. And um, this is set in 1977, so it is a period movie. And it's actually a really good double act. Ryan Gosling plays a guy called Holland March, who is a basically the world's worst private eye. <laughs> and he ends up through, you know, one reason and another, teaming up with a guy called Jackson Healy, played by Russell Crowe, who beats people up for a living. 
Uh, that's the best way to say, it, isn't it? That's just yeah. what he does. He he. People hire him to beat people up. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, he's a yeah. He's a heavy, a thug, an intimidator. He wants to actually be a private eye. So it's kind of there's a um, there's a dynamic to it where a mystery occurs involving the death of a porn star, and they get embroiled in it along with Holland's daughter, who is played by Anguri Rice, who's really good in it too. She's very precocious and smart. And there's a lot of laughs. Shane's really sort of playing with the tropes oh. of the genre. Oh, Shane, is it? Yeah, Shane. Black. Black's really playing. Sorry, was that too... For- sorry, sorry. It's like, I'm sure he's listening, and I'm just trying to ingratiate myself. <laughs> this night's just called Benedict Cumberbatch Ben. Yeah, so that's I think, true. I think that's it's true. fine. Um, been him once. But yeah, he kind of really plays with it. He plays with kind of action and and, uh, and mystery tropes and film noir tropes and stuff like that. So there's a lot of fun. There's a great scene where, for example, Crow throws Gosling a gun during a gunfight. And, and Gosling completely fails to catch the gun and it goes smashing through a window and, and they have no gun. You know, it sort of sets up obvious things for you. I don't want to have any spoilers, but yeah, it sets up obvious things where you, you're kind of going, ah, and you see where this is going and then Black is tricking you yeah. because he's playing on the fact that you're used to the things that happens in these kinds of films and then he twists it in a really fun way and it's like that all the way through. And Gosling's really funny mm. as yeah. well in this. It's like, it's a proper, you know, solid gold comedy performance. And Crow as well, I think. The, yeah, yeah. The well, he's more the straight man of the double act, as you might expect. Yeah. But Shane, as, as I like to call him, um, <laughs> did say uh, when Empire interviewed him, he, he sort of said that <clears throat> the Pink Panther films were an influence on this. And you could, I really saw that. I really loved that. I mean, Gosling is basically this film's Inspector Clouseau. And, yeah. and it's so fun to watch. Yeah, it is. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I had a couple of tiny niggles with it, which is, you know, th- this film opens with the death of a porn star, which is kind of played for laughs a little bit. And yeah, that's really basically weird. There's four, there's four murders that they investigate and the two men who die, die off screen and the two women who die, die on screen and are kind of both played for a little bit of a laugh, even if it's a shock laugh. I don't think the second one's Yeah, the second one's not all. played for a laugh. Really? Because it's such a shock that it is kind of a laugh. I don't think the first... Oh, I don't... Well, okay, I'm going to disagree I mean, there. But um, I, I, I don't think the first one was funny either. But weirdly enough, at the screening we had, loads of people laughed yeah. at the death of the porn star. And I was kind of like, whoa, it's clearly not meant to be funny, guys. I'm not but, sure it is. But, but there you go. But I mean, it's just... It's a little bit of a trope for him. You know, there's been a, the film that opened with the death of the prostitute, the film that opened with the death of the stripper, and now the film that yeah. opens with the death of the porn this is, star. This is very much for me, Shane Black's greatest hits. There, there are yeah. numerous references and. Uh, throwbacks to various films he's done in the past uh, the teenage daughter who's smarter than everyone else in the film is from The Last, Last Boy, Boy Scout yeah. you know there are evil henchmen there are quips there's Christmas um, for me as much as I, I love this film a lot but for me it's not as fresh as Kiss Kiss Bang Bang but then again when you start with the perfect film pretty much then where do you go from there and I also adore Iron Man 3 for all the twists and subversions that that brings to the superhero genre for me this isn't doesn't quite have the energy or pacing of those two movies but I I think this is a film you need to see a couple of times uh, because the plot is very labyrinthine but the second time around it actually does make sense it's very nicely layered there's lots of Mm. stuff happening in the background that does support the overall conspiracy that that takes place throughout the film I share your 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 quibbles about the uh, the female characters in this yeah Uh, teenage daughter accepted absolutely she's Um, fantastic she is great but for me it's about the the double act and Ryan Gosling in particular is just absolutely hilarious I think at some point in the last year he decided you know what I'm fed up with being just uh, an actor that everyone loves I'm going to become one of the funniest guys on the planet as well and yep. he's hilarious in the big short and he's hilarious in this and I, I imagine he's going to be an absolute gas in Blade Runner 2 as well so <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to that uh, what could be funnier what could be funnier four stars then for the nice guys it is fantastic and it sadly there's a moment in the in the uh, Q&A we did with uh, Shane Black and Jill Silver where and I don't know whether we're going to keep it in or not where they exhorted the crowd to just go and see it tell your friends go and see it because we're a small-ish movie we're up against these behemoths and we need everyone to go and see it otherwise they won't make movies like this anymore and it didn't it kind of died in the states really sadly and it's a bit of a shame because movies like this don't come around that often and it's flawed by no means perfect movie and some people will take exception to some things that happens in it and you know when they, they, the tagline says they're not that nice believe it because both uh, Healy and March do some despicable things in this film but do go and see it because it's provocative and challenging and brilliantly written and very well acted and I just think you need to see movies like this and even if it's not a movie like this it's Love and Friendship or Sing Street that these movies need our support Absolutely. as much as possible Hell yeah, <sighs> Shall I get off my soapbox? <laughs> uh, four stars in for the nice guys Let's move on now to Duncan Jones' Warcraft. 
in which war and craft come together. <laughs> I believe that's what happens. It's Warcraft the beginning, isn't it? That's, it is Warcraft it full the beginning, time. yes. Okay. I'm going to lead on this one, then Dan can tell me where I'm wrong <laughs> uh, as a long-term player of the game. So, their own world is dying. So a race of orcs pass through a mysterious magical portal into a new world, the land of Azeroth. So the orcs are led by a, a sinister figure, I think it's fair to call him, called Gul'dan. Uh, he's played by Daniel Wu. And he basically, he literally kills people and, and uses their lives to fuel his magic. And one orc, uh, Durotan, who's played by Toby Kebble, back in performance gear after uh, the Apes movie, comes to maybe suspect that maybe Gul'dan isn't all that solid a guy. Maybe this whole using people's lives to fuel his magic thing is connected with the fact that their world is dying. And maybe it's not such a brilliant strategy. Meanwhile, of course, though, they have bigger problems, which is that the orcs are trying to establish a foothold, find a new home for themselves and allow the rest of their populace to come through because otherwise, you know, they're all done for. On the other side, however, in the land of Azeroth, you have uh, King Lane, who's played by Dominic Cooper, and his loyal knight, who's played by Travis Fimmel from Vikings. And they're basically trying to react to this invasion of enormous, uh, slightly green-tinged people. <laughs> I mean, they are. Anyway, there's a whole lot of toing and froing as the humans try to figure out what's going on, who these people are, where they're coming from, and what to do about them. Ben Foster is involved as a, as a mage who lives in a high tower and is, uh, is instrumental to trying to their plans to try and stop the orc advance but he's played by Ben Foster so mm. you know mm. I'm not going to say anything more than that so yeah it, there are some really really good things here I think the orcs have been very carefully designed to give them as much kind of humanity and as much weight and as much physical presence as possible given that they are obviously entirely CG I think you know Duncan Jones has clearly broken his back to give the two sides both some character and some heart and some soul I think the problem is here that there is way too much going on for it to really work. There's about 12 or 13 major named characters by my count. And some of them who get a lot of screen time really don't feel like they deserve it. And some of them who get a lot less screen time, you would have liked to see more from. And it's one of those problems where you just end up not wanting to watch whatever bit you're watching at that time, um, which is a bit of a problem. I will say that I think Jones is pretty uh, pretty brave in terms of daring to have some actual stakes and some actual death of mm. named characters in a big summer blockbuster, which is not something that we see very often. But I think the problem is that the aesthetic of this world doesn't easily translate to the screen. I mean, this really big, impractical armour that they're saddled with, which is faithful to the, to the game. I think it's all very faithful. It all looks like the cover of a, of a Robert Jordan novel to me. But, but it doesn't translate brilliantly on screen just because it is so impractical when you see it brought to life, you know? And I think also because the armour is so bulky, it makes the, the humans not look quite as much at a disadvantage next to the orcs as they probably should. You know, you want a bit more of a, a sense that these guys are dwarfed by these sort of nine foot tall hmm. behemoths. So there's there, there's some problems like, like that. I just, I just, it's a really tough one to bring together. And I think you probably could have lost five or six characters had a much tighter story and, and maybe delved a little bit more into what's going on. I would also, I know he's a major figure in the game, uh, Khadgar, yeah. but uh, Ben Schnetzer, I just did not enjoy as the sort of wide-eyed apprentice wizard type. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so we give it two stars. Yeah. There's a lot to enjoy in there if you know the game, because there's a certain thrill of seeing it made, you know, Cinematic, yeah. if you like. Uh, the Yorks especially. I think the way the Yorks were done uh, was, was, was absolutely amazing. And I think, you know, Toby Kebble and Rob Kaczynski and Daniel Wu. Um, They're great. And Clancy Brown yes. as well as Black Hand are all, are all great. Not that you actually see them as themselves. And there is a parallel with Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, actually. Although this is sadly not as good as Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. In the equal weighting of the two sides. Mm -hmm. And I really liked seeing that because it is very true to the to the spirit of, you know, the online world on which it's based. And I really enjoyed Travis Fimmel. Um, yeah, he's good. I haven't watched a lot of Vikings, but he's yeah, really good in this. Yeah. I mean, he's he's not very far away from Ragnar Lothbrook. In, I'm sorry, uh, what? Uh, Ragnar Lothbrook. He got four stars in TripAdvisor. You should really stay there as <laughs> You yes. don't know about Ragnar Lothbrok? I don't know about Ragnar Lothbrok, no. Honestly. Honestly. He discovered England. Oh, as a person? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the in Vikings? Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. All right. But no, so I'm saying is Lothar, Lothar in this. Lothar. Anduin Lothar. is he's kind of a... He's not very far away from Ragnar Lothbrok. Got you. But there's a spark to Travis Fillmore. He's got a kind of, you know, a sort of a cool, sort of weary cynicism kind of a thing going on that I think works really well in something like this. 
And, also, and also, interestingly, barefoot a lot of the time. And yes. Sort of, you know. Yes. Absolutely. Like John McClane. He's clearly trying. Yeah, he's clearly Rothbrook. trying to bring something to this guy and give him a little bit of weight and a little bit of humour. There's a twinkle, definite twinkle in his eyes in mm. a lot of scenes. Yeah. I also thought Ruth Negger was very good in the in the quite small role of the queen. The queen. The, the supportive and wise yeah. queen. But you know, I, I think if you're looking mm. for a Dominic Cooper Ruth Negger property, you should probably be watching Preacher instead. Yeah. But yeah. Carry on. And then Paula Patton, who you didn't you didn't mention. Yeah, I didn't. She's actually a very well she's a the pivotal role in in the whole story yeah but that story doesn't get the time it really deserves because it kind of leaves questions a lot of there's a lot of questions around that character she's a half orc yes so she's half orc half human so you can understand why she's kind of she's stuck in you know she's stuck in the middle with us to misquote Steeler's will one thing disappointed me was I didn't really feel there was there was a depth and a history to this world when of course there is a lot of depth and history to to the world of Warcraft in the game it kind of felt like everything was just freshly made yeah it and was think, very that, shiny and yeah. colourful I think but I think you're right but I, I did get the sense that they were alluding to a lot of history they allude to a lot of places to yeah. different races there's a couple of council meetings with people who are obviously allies of mm-hmm. uncertain allegiance but I had no sense as a non-player of the game I had no sense of how important any of those particular people were and mm. how, how what that actually meant so it didn't perhaps ring true but yeah it's very it is very shiny and colorful in mm. that that actually maybe this is a problem with fantasy on screen i mean we've it's it's something that studios have always struggled with and arguably outside harry potter and lord of the rings you know they haven't really succeeded with and and it's kind of interesting to me because at times I was watching this and I was thinking this is exactly like you know the covers of all the books that I read and it's yeah. exactly like a lot of the worlds that I that I read about but it doesn't work on the screen and I'm not sure why. Hmm. Five stars. <laughs> I think I got I got the gist. Five stars. Two, two stars. Two out of the five. Two yeah. stars for Warcraft then. Despite the fact we gave it two stars, we will be dedicating a spoiler special to this. Duncan Jones was kind enough to sit down with Dan and go through all the film's twists and turns. So look out for that one over the next week, maybe two weeks or so. Uh, just keep your eyes out for it. We haven't recorded our part of it yet, and we're trying to find the time to do so. So do keep an eye on that one. Also out this week was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows and Into the Two-Star Frying Pan. Didn't like that one very much here at Empire. And uh, Kelsey Grammer, uh, his film Breaking the Bank, sadly not that great either. We gave that to two stars also. So the moral of the story is basically go see the nice guys. It that, does seem, to be, seems to, or, seems to be that way. Or go find Love and Friendship from last week. Or Sing Street. Yeah. Or, Sing Street. or if you really like orcs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah if, you're, you know? if you're a video game fan, if you're a yeah. Warcraft fan. Awesome. Right, that is it for this week's Emperor Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by Salma Hayek. Oh. oh wow. Yeah, yes, indeedy. Pretty lady. Uh, Phil is off interviewing Salma Hayek right now. Until then, it is goodbye from Dan. Goodbye, everybody. It's goodbye from Helen. So long. Oh, yeah. Farewell. No, that's good. Peter Zane. Oh. You just can't join our club. <laughs> And it's goodbye from me. I'm off around Sandra Bullock's house to see whether she has a Chris Hewitt shrine in her bedroom. And you know what? I reckon the answer is yes. (laughs) See you next week. Bye.